I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gernon. I created the space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Enjoy. Hello, I hope you're all well and have enjoyed or to patrons are enjoying the Easter break. This week I'm sharing my chat with Sinead. We spoke back in July last year, but I'm only sharing her conversation now just for a few reasons. Um, So she talks me through her one pregnancy and the birth of her son, Ollie. So Sinead shares everything basically from from getting her period at a very young age, um, how she suffered through that with a lot of pain um, and kind of in a world of the unknown as she got her start got her first period at a very young age um she then talks me through the the pain the difficult circumstances she found herself in and this the lack of support I suppose to I suppose due to the lack of knowledge um that her friends and family had of her condition which turned out to be endometriosis so she then talks me through her fertility journey and the support that she got um, with a doctor. And she then discovered she was pregnant. Sinead's labour and birth experience was really mixed. She had really amazing, strong support in many parts of her hospital experience. But there were a handful of people, um, if even, that really changed that experience to something that... Um, didn't need to be so although she she did have an epidural um they did need to bring her into surgery uh, and used a forceps forceps to help bring ollie down the birth canal um but that's not really where the lack of support was it was postnatally as well so she did want to breastfeed her baby but she wasn't given the support um both by the midwives and also the lactation consultant who she requested to see a number of times something that I really want to mention is Sinead reached out to Maria Saunders, who is a specialist with, uh, with anything surrounding birth trauma. And she has not only helped Sinead in the past, but she has helped a lot of my guests. So I'm going to tag her in the show notes. And I really 
urge you to get in touch with Maria if you feel like you need support in that area. So thank you Sinead for sharing your story. I really appreciate it and I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. I'll chat to you one more day with another episode. So Sinead, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Thank you very much. Will we just start with a little introduction to you and your family and then we'll get we'll start talking about your first birth. So uh, my name is Sinead. I am married to Peter uh, almost five years now, next month. Um, we are from Leash and we have one little boy called Ollie who was born. He's the OG lockdown baby. <laughs> he was born the 8th of March 2020. Okay, so will we talk about conception? Was yeah. your pregnancy with Ollie planned? Yes, it certainly was. Um, I suppose the, my history in terms of like menstrual history and stuff was complic- complicated. Um, I had, I got my period when I was really like really young, like 10, which I'm pretty sure is just really unfair. Um, but um, yeah, and it was never kind of straightforward from the start. But obviously you don't know that when you're, 10 years old um so the whole way through my teenage years it was always like it was just really yeah intense every month and it was only kind of I suppose when I got to like transition year fifth year and I began to notice that this isn't I didn't think it was normal compared to my what my friends would be talking about even some of my best yeah. friends used to be like oh yeah oh, a little bit of a cramp and I'd be like fainting <laughs> go home I'd go home for lunch um in school and I might mightn't come back for a couple of days um yeah, the pain just used to be really, really intense and they'd it would last a long time. And yeah, anyway. So then um, I began to realize I knew that it wasn't really normal. And when I was in fifth year, I think in school, I, my, I eventually wore my mother down and she took me to see a consultant. And it wasn't the most pleasant experience. She basically barely looked at me. I, I, it's funny because I got the file actually from the hospital recently um and it is as thin as I expected it to be because you can't possibly have anything had anything to write about me she barely barely examined me asked me a couple of random questions never looked up from her notepad I actually don't think I ever made eye contact with the woman and I remember kind of looking up my mom obviously came in with me because I was whatever whatever was like 16 or whatever and I remember being like okay this is really strange and uh yeah she basically her synopsis was yeah you're a teenager with painful periods like just deal with it just get on and so you would have been having periods then for since you were in what fourth class yeah the summer between fourth and fifth class yeah and I was in a really I was in an all-girls school and we were really small class there's only like 11 of us in my class and I think near in like fifth class or something one of the other girls had her period but like I just remember like being out in the middle of the hurling pitch playing a camogie match and like doubling over in pain and then being so embarrassed and I just got my mom to tell the teacher what was happening so like coming to one school match and having to get my mom to tell the teacher what was after happening and all of this kind of stuff but uh yeah it, yeah it kind of had a knock-on effect I suppose I kind of pulled out of any sports that I was involved in I didn't want to kind of go on with them and oh. just, it became a nuisance really with with school and stuff I wasn't one for for missing school and then just like even my dad like my dad used to be at home for lunch when I'd go home I lived right beside school so I was allowed to go home at lunchtime and he'd come in and I'd be like on the couch but and he'd just like throw a hot water bottle at me and be like uh you're not going back to school are you I'm like no and he's like oh okay because <laughs> he'd have to let school know obviously that it wasn't just mm. disappearing so it kind of just became normal um but I even knew from my sister that it wasn't normal like she she didn't go through what I was going through um so anyway make a very long story short I came out of that appointment 
uh, very deflated. Um, I, I don't think I spoke a word the whole way home. And I don't like my mom is the best in the world, but comes from a generation where, you know, you just you did just get on with things or whatever. Um, and I think in her head, she was like, right, I've taken her now. Like that was the box checked. And, mm. you know, I was 16. I didn't know how to go about even getting a second opinion. I'm from a small town. My mother was the caretaker in the health center where I was going to the doctor. And I was like, if I go for a second opinion, she'll surely find out. Um, but yeah, I kind of just just dropped it and got on with things. Um went on the pill before my leaving cert because I was genuinely afraid that I would miss my leaving cert if I if I didn't um anyway that was fine went off to college and um started to get a bit worse my symptoms kind of started to get more intense um and the pain the pain changed as well I used to all of a sudden just started getting on TMI but anyway like back pain up my backside basically all the time um especially around the time of the month I if I had to go to the toilet I would be screaming in pain um and when you're living with six strangers (laughs) that don't know you in first year in college it was just yeah it was yeah it wasn't pleasant um obviously how long would this sorry sorry. how long would this go on for so how long would your period and seven days Okay. Yeah. So Gosh. the PMS like symptoms would start obviously the week. I basically I kind of felt like I was getting about a week and a half of like a normal life. Um yeah, yeah. and then it would start with the kind of pain going to the toilet. That would always be the first symptom. Really tired, like really tired, really bloated. Um put on weight like that. Um uh, and I had always been slim like the whole way, you know, very quite slim and then Jesus like you couldn't now in fairness I was in college as well. But I was there was there was other reasons why I was putting on weight as well, mm. but when I was like you know watching what I ate and whatever, it didn't make any difference. I would just I just felt like I was constantly trying to push a boulder up a hill and getting getting absolutely nowhere. Um, so anyway, I was in college and I remember sitting in a I remember one particular incident where I was coming home from college and the period pain was so bad at well get to my house you had to like walk down a hill and there was a house in front of us with a group of lads from Kerry that used to live there they always had a Kerry flag in front of the front room and I just remember one of them waved at me and I was like oh okay if I faint now at least someone will see me um and I was just trying to get to my house without like keeling over and it was a Friday afternoon and everyone was like heading home and they're all out with their cars and I was just like oh god when I got into the house my housemate opened the door as I arrived and I was just like bent over and she was like what is happening and um that was one and then I think the next yeah the next really bad one then was sitting in a lecture theater I can still remember the code of the room and everything I will never forget it as long as I live and the lecture was going on I couldn't breathe I was in so much pain um and the lecture ended and I literally, I just had tears like streaming down my face. I was in so much oh, pain. Gosh. And my housemate was sitting beside me. And I was in, what was I, in second year at this stage, I think? First or second year? I think when I was in second year. And um, my housemate was like, what? The? I, I, basically, I had to pretend I pulled a muscle in my back because I couldn't actually tell them what was hurting. Um, and they, anyway, the lecture theatre cleared out. Thank God it was a Friday. There was no other lectures coming in. It was the afternoon. Um, and doctor had to come down and like give me an injection oh god when I think about it anyway give me an injection and then I went back up to the doctor's office and she was like okay tell me what's going on and she is the first person of Sheila Fitzgerald in Limerick Newell 
Just mm-hmm. surely not there. I don't think anymore. But anyway, um, she was the first doctor to ever actually ask me, like, li- and properly listen to me when I told her what was going on. She was like, "This isn't normal," and I was like, "Okay, right. So what do we do about it?" So she's like, "I'm going to do your bloods." Uh, so she took my bloods. That was fine. I head off on my merry way, and then we sometime the following week I my sister was working in the college at the time and I was in her office which was directly below the medical center and Dr Fitzgerald rang me and she was like are you still around and I was like yeah and she said would you mind meeting me she said I just need to talk to you about your blood results and I was like Jesus um I was like yeah of course so we actually met her in the stairwell of college and um she was like listen your bloods show that you have I, I would think you have polycystic ovaries and I was like okay I had no clue what that was Anyway, I was sent for an ultrasound, went for an ultrasound, which ended up having to be repeated because it was one of those ultrasounds that was in local hospital here that all of them were done wrong or they were read wrong or something. So all had to be done again months later. Um, anyway, I was eventually diagnosed with PCOS um, with the hormonal imbalance kind of being the main the main thing. And then I was put on the pill. I was put on Dianet and I was on Dianet then for years. And I did, it certainly did stop like help the symptoms, obviously, because you're not having a normal cycle. Um, oh yeah, but I, I just, I never felt like, some part, something in me was always saying, telling me that that wasn't the full story, although it was certainly part of it. it some of the symptoms I had, it, they definitely were, were um, kind of checked off uh, with PCOS. So kind of just stayed on the pill then for years. And then when I was in my kind of mid 20s um mid to late 20s I kind of said oh you know what I'm just going to come off it because give my body a break mm-hmm. from it and then by the time I wanted to go back on it my net was gone I couldn't get it anymore because of it was it, the rules for getting it have changed something to blood clots so I couldn't I didn't qualify for it anymore and we tried a couple of other pills and none of them agreed with me for various different reasons so I was just like you know what fine <laughs> I was engaged I think at this stage and I was like you know if I get pregnant now grand I don't I don't care yeah. Um, but then slowly, surely the symptoms all started um flaring back up again. So anyway, we got married then in December twenty no, not December, we got married in August twenty sixteen. And uh, the following April I went back to college. So we had agreed that we I wouldn't we wouldn't be trying for a family until I was finished. It was a two year master's program and it was fairly intense. So um we weren't going to take on <laughs> any other stress other than that. So that was fine and then we were at a family function in like the September October before I finished up um so it would have been September 2018 and Peter's a relative of Peter's was like oh well how are things you plan to have a family Peter's sister was, was, was pregnant at the time and I was like oh yeah and she would have kind of known some of my history and um she was like she's all about being proactive and she was like listen there's this fantastic doctor in Dublin I think like even if you I know you're not trying yet she said but like just to even go get yourself checked out and see what he says I'd really recommend him so I was like okay so I went to him so anyway, I he was obviously I was absolutely broke we'd bought a house we got married and I was back doing a master's mm-hmm. I was like I couldn't even afford the first consultation I was like I'm so so broke so I was telling my sister about it and she was like uh I said listen I'm going to leave it until April I had work lined up for when the master's finished and I was like once I'm back getting paid properly I'll go and she was like no you're going you're going now and I was like okay so she very very generously paid for my appointment so um she was like you're not putting this off until April like who knows what will happen in April so yeah. um 
we were so I booked to go to him in December of 2018 and and I mean as I said like we hadn't been trying like at the time so I wasn't I wasn't really worried I was like fine um I suppose we hadn't been not trying either and I wasn't on I wasn't on contraception so but still I was like no I'm stressed like so I'm not there's, I'm not going to be getting pregnant down soon so I uh, went up to the appointment and the secretary said to me before we went in she was like listen you're going to get an overload of information today she said but just begin as much as you can and then when you go home and you read everything he gives you like we're always on the end of the phone if you ever need to talk about anything and I was like okay <laughs> kind of talk, so naive hadn't a clue so walked in anyway and and he's such a lovely man and he was just like yeah so you have endometriosis and he said oh, oh wow. he was like I like this is like straight away and I was like I felt like I had been like this the stuff was knocked out of me I was like whoa um he was like yeah so I would imagine moderate to severe um after that to be honest I have absolutely no idea what he said he he was talking away and I was asking questions I was obviously listening and digging in a certain amount of it but um yeah I was like a part of me felt I, I suppose in within, in the actual appointment I was a bit like I have no idea what's going on here and he was t- like trying to show me all this stuff about my cycle and this stuff he wanted me to go on this treatment plan he wanted me to go on and what it was and I'd never heard of it before and anyway so that went on for a while the appointment was I it was a good hour long and it was just like I came out I had an absolutely banging headache and um which my husband was just like just in there like not he hadn't a clue what to even say and I was really angry I was fine that day I got home I stopped at my sister's house on the way home and I was kind of I'd gone to the pharmacy spent an absolute bucket load of money on everything I was to go on between supplements mm. and then this um naltrexone stuff I was to go on so um I'd gone there and I was kind of very matter of factly I suppose going through everything with my sister and she was like are you okay and she was like and are you okay like and I was like yeah I'm great. She's great like we have an answer now we know what's going on fine and then the next day I woke up and I just I couldn't stop crying I was really upset um I was really angry and I was angry at my mom which I didn't expect because it wasn't her fault but I felt like I knew I wasn't listened to and I and I suppose that's one of was one of my reasons for getting in touch with you to even go on the podcast was if your daughter or your niece or your I don't know anyone that you know is telling you at 15 years of age that they can't go into school for a few days every month because their period is so bad you need to listen it's not normal mm. and I don't hold it against my mom we've had this conversation mm. with her um but yeah it, it just it did yeah I was really angry and that took a couple of days for me it was just before Christmas as well I remember I was going out with my friends and what when I think about it now it was probably my last time on a real session um, with the girls um I just yeah I was just in a real daze I just felt like one part of me was so relieved to finally have had someone actually be like no this is this wasn't normal as much as Dr Fitzgerald had kind of gotten me halfway there I always knew there was something else that some of my symptoms didn't stack up with PCOS alone um so it was nice in a way to feel validated and to feel kind of like yes finally someone has listened to me and there's other women out there who who have this um but the other side of me then yeah was just kind of let down I suppose to a certain extent that it hadn't been caught earlier but then I mean now that I know so much more about it and you realize <laughs> that it can take like 15 years to be diagnosed uh, it's just it's it's just mental um did you have a lifestyle change ahead of you then with yeah, so yeah. so he I went to a dietitian as well at the time just to 
um there was some of the things that he had recommended that I wasn't just in terms of diet that I wasn't really sure about um so I went to a dietitian and she was like yeah do this 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 so I found the combination of the, the advice from both kind of really really worked for me so it was December so I started straight into like really high dose of vitamin d really high dose of omega-3s um and like low dairy low sugar um and low gluten uh, kind of diet um which was fine actually it was my husband had um IBS and we had gone to the same dietitian when he had gone that like FODMAP diet and stuff mm. so we kind of knew like what to what to do I suppose um but that was fine and to be honest like I was f- facing into the end of the masters and I just had so much other stuff going on that I was like right let's we'll just go on and I kind of myself the way the way it was was that I was heading basically for a laparoscopy that summer so summer 2019 to figure out these because that's the only official way to be confirmed with endometriosis um is to actually have the procedure done the, the keyhole surgery done um to see where where it is um I mean it was pretty Dr. Boyle was pretty certain that it was going to be found on my bowel because of my symptoms yeah um or somewhere around there anyway so that was my summer my I, my plan was follow all of his stuff um from straight away from December 18th <laughs> And keep going until we got back to him. I was to get my bloods done every month as well, um, just to check hormone levels and things. So that was grand. And then um, that's the way what my summer was shaping up was looking at. And I was like, right, that's fine. Just get to the end of the Masters, get back working, and we'll get on with that then. That's fine. And then uh, we, when was it? So June... Yeah, so Peter was correct in the leaving cert exams or the junior cert exams, something up in uh, Cavan or somewhere. I was at home here on my own and it was near the end of the school year. Like school was mental. We're both teachers. He's secondary school. So he was finished and he was correcting the exams. And I was in my first like proper job as a just after qualifying teacher. And um, I just wasn't used to the month of June in school. I didn't realize how insane it is between sports days and tests and mm-hmm. standardized testing and all that so I was just like oh I'm just wrecked like just wrecked from being from getting used to all the go, coming and going and school tours and stuff Peter was gone away and I was here and I just remember I would wake up on the couch at like 11 o'clock and I mean I would have been comatose for like three four hours which is not like me I used to come in I would wake up in my gym gear but I would not have made it out to the gym at all and I'd have like 10 missed calls of Peter been like are you alive where are you and I was like sorry I'm just really tired and it's like okay that was fine I had a million of those like EP Amazon cassette and I mean I don't know why like I was taking them some months when there was definitely absolutely no way that I could be pregnant now I had been um tracking my ovulation using the the home kits and stuff um from about February March kind of time um because Dr. Boyle had said like listen work work away like you know he was like my whole thing Sinead is leaving pregnancy aside for a minute that I need I want to get you like as a woman having a better quality of life everyone which I Mm. really appreciate (laughs) and respect him for um it wasn't just a means to an end to get me pregnant this was just to improve my my life which was which was great um so he was like relax about everything else he was like you haven't you've said it yourself you haven't fully started trying yet so just go with flow so like grant and um anyway June rocked around I was absolutely conked that was my first sign I was just like 
flatlined every evening I come home from school I was absolutely no energy left and then I yeah so I had I had come home from school and I had taken no morning I must have taken a test um again I have a million of them it wasn't it wasn't like I was like oh my god I'm pregnant I literally was just like there's a load of them there I'll just take one and this was like five days before my period was even due so I was like there's definitely no no chance of anything here so I did the test completely forgot about it went off to work came home from school and thought nothing of it again I still didn't even think about it it was in the bathroom beside our, our room and then Peter came home that night and we sat down to watch Love Island. God, it's all come back to me now. We sat mm-hmm. down to watch Love Island and I was gone after like 10 minutes. And he was like, well, this is great. I was like, I'm really sorry. I'm going to bed. So I went downstairs <laughs> and I was in the suite and I was brushing my teeth. And I was like, is there, there's a line. There's a second line on that. And then I couldn't find the instructions because like, like they came in like this massive plastic bag from Amazon. I was like, there's even instructions with them, I don't think. And I was like, I definitely haven't seen that line on one of these before. So I had one like decent test, um, clear blue or first response, one of them. And I was like, okay, sure, I, I'll take it. Like, so I took it and like instantly mm-hmm. it came up and I was like, oh my God, I couldn't, I just could not, could not believe it. So I had all of these ideas in my head of what I would do to tell Peter. (laughs) In reality, I was like, (laughs) like, roared. He was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, come here for a minute. It was like half 11 or so when he came up. And he was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, "Uh," and I just had the test in my hand. And he was like, no way. And I was like, "Uh, apparently. So yeah, it was funny. All of those lovely ideas that I had over the years were gone well out the window. Um, neither of us slept a wink. Of course, I would mm-hmm. find this out at like 11 o'clock at night. Um, got up at six o'clock in the morning, went into Tesco, bought every single pregnancy test that mm-hmm. they had, came home, them all before we went to school. And I just spent the rest of the day staring at a picture that I'd taken of them saying pregnant. Uh, yeah, so I was just completely shell-shocked. I was like, what the hell does this? Like, oh, so I rang. I had, as I said, I had been getting my bloods done every month and um my GP so Dr Boyle would read my my results um I'd get the blood drawn here but he the results would be sent to him so tracking like progesterone and estradiol levels and all this so I went into work and I got a text message from my GP saying Sinead your progesterone is I can't remember was it low or high I can't remember what way it should have been um she was like if your period hasn't started yet I would suggest repeating the bloods see where we're at and I was like I'm so confused I was like I don't know if this is a good thing if it's a bad thing so I had a GP's appointment booked for that afternoon or whatever so um went into her and was like I think I'm pregnant she was like ah she was like well that might explain why (laughs) (laughs) your progesterone results weren't weren't what they should have been um yeah she confirmed it then straight away and then I rang doctor and like and I mean this was still four days before my period was due so I can't possibly have found out any any earlier um so immediately Dr. sent down a prescription for um progesterone um for me so I was on progesterone uh pessaries twice a day it straight off like straight out straight off that so was on them and that was fine um so yeah then we had a seven week scan booked in um so I was what four weeks or whatever it was at that stage um and like a week later, instantly started feeling sick. I was very, very quick to um to get nauseous. And 
I remember the sixth class girls came in and they were like, oh, we want to do a teachers versus uh, students basketball match. Will you play? And I was like, um, I was like, I was so sick. And I was like, uh, I, I'll just, I'll ref, ref it for you if you want. But it was just ask the others. And they were like, okay. Like I used to get them to play basketball and chance I got. And then um, one of the other teachers came down and she was like, um, Miss Dyson, can I speak to you privately for a second? Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, you know, like are you pregnant and I was like yes and I'm so sick and she was <laughs> like oh god so she was like when they came back and said that you weren't going to play basketball I was like there's something up something wrong, wrong with her <laughs> but um so I told my sister my parents were actually away so it was actually grand didn't have to like hide it hide it from them and um we ended up telling Peter's family that very early because it was his mom's birthday and I was so 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 sick there was no way I could hide it we were going out for dinner and I mean both turned my stomach I was like no we just like why hide it I was like just tell them mm, I was yeah. it was getting more stressed about trying to <laughs> trying to hide it for the night so I had gotten bloods done again and sent them up to him obviously checking HCG and things at this stage and then I was down visiting um I was down Kenny visiting a relative in a nursing home and um I was in great form but still sick as a dog but great form and um this was the Tuesday and we were to be with doctor for the scan on the Friday and I got a call from his secretary and she was just reading, asking me to relay numbers that my GP had given to me in terms of like my HCG and stuff over the last day, couple of days to her. And she's like, that's fine. She said, like, I'll get the doctor to look at those and he'll bring you back. And I said, perfect. So I was expecting a call from the office. Mm. Um, so I was coming out of the nursing home and the phone rang and I just said to Peter, go on and get the car and I'll be out in a second. And um, it was his secretary and she was like, I'm, I'm really sorry, Sinead, it's, it's going to be a miscarriage. And I was like... I was just floored I I was just like what I was like but I'm so sick and I'm I just yeah it was not what I expected at all um but like if I had if I had seen their number come up and I hadn't been expecting a call I would have been a bit worried because I was expecting them to ring me back mm. with like the next stage of when did I do my bloods next and stuff um so they were like we're really sorry but you know, do you want to come up here on Friday for the scan? Um, you can try go somewhere else earlier if you want. And I was like, well, where do you go? I was like, no, I'll keep the appointment for Friday. Um, I was like, what do I do? I still like, what am I supposed to do? And they were like, just just rest, like just see how the next few days go, like ring us if anything happens. Um, so yeah, I got in the car and just, I, I didn't even cry. I, I was completely numb. I was like, this is not not happening. Uh, so Peter was just completely like flabbergasted. He had a million questions that I couldn't answer because I don't think I I don't think I'd even asked any questions really. I just didn't know what to do. So slowly as the day went on, it kind of hit us that right, this isn't going to be good. Um, so I spent all day Wednesday, all day Thursday in bed in floods tears. Um, to be honest, afraid to go to the toilet. I was afraid of every twinge mm. that I got. I just didn't know what was happening. Um, so. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good. It wasn't it was awful. It was, it was actually supposed to be at a hen weekend um, that I was so looking forward to a college friend. And um I had to get Peter to ring her. I couldn't even do it. I couldn't actually say what was happening. Um so it was fine. Uh the longest week of our lives. And then um basically she'd said to me like the scan on Friday, just so, like it won't it won't be good news and it won't be a like pleasant experience. And I was like, okay. Um, so we went up and yeah, fully expecting obviously the worst. Um went in, 
to be fair, there was no kind of waiting around. Like the second we were there, they like took us. He took us straight in, and um, I was lying on the bed, and he started the scan, and I was like drawing blood. I'd say out of Peter's hand at this stage, and uh, then he was like, "Okay, um, like okay, so there's the heartbeat," and I was like, "What heartbeat?" He's like, "The heartbeat." I was like, "Whose heartbeat?" He's like, "The baby's heartbeat." I was like, "The what?" <laughs> I was like completely again just thrown. And he was like, okay, I know what we need to do here. Um, and he seemed like whatever he was looking at was making sense to him. And I was just, my my mouth oh. was on the floor. Peter was like, what is happening? <laughs> um, it felt like we were in a total tailspin again. Mm. And um, I was bursting to go to the toilet after the scan. So I went to the toilet, came back in as quick as I could. And I was like, what's going on? And he was like, you're the one out of 10. And I was like, what? He said, nine women out of 10 with your blood results. This, you would not be leaving here with a picture of a scan. Um, And he was like, you're only seven weeks today. So I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have been shocked if there wasn't a heartbeat anyway, in ordinary, you know, you mightn't pick it up at this stage anyway. But certainly he said with the way, it was my estradiol levels were really low. So they should have been at like 4,000 and they were at like 300 or something. So um, I was like, okay, so what do we do? And he said, you're going to go on, I can't even remember the name, but now isn't that terrible? Um, I can't remember. He put me on some tablet anyway. Um, God, I had the name of that written down somewhere, but no, I can't remember the name, but he put me on a tablet um, to bring up my estrogen levels. And he was like, "This, if this is going to work, it will work instantly. So um, that was the Friday. He said, "Get your, start taking it today. Get your bloods done on Monday. Monday or Monday. My neighbour did them for me, she's a nurse. Um, and he was like, we will know, we'll have a good idea straight away if you're responding to the treatment or not. And I was like, okay. So we had booked um, flights to go to Boston um, to visit a friend of ours um, when I should have been nine weeks. Uh, so two weeks later uh, so he wanted me back two weeks later and I was like listen we fly to book to Boston Just tell me do I, if I need to cancel them that's fine I don't care uh, we'll mm. do whatever and he was like no no he said listen we'll know you'll kind of have one foot on the plane if you're responding well to the treatment if your blood show that you're responding okay um, and then he said come back to me we would fly out on the Thursday he said come back on the Wednesday and I'll scan you then and if uh, if everything is good then I'm happy for you to go I was like, How did you feel? Did you still, did you want to go? Um, I I was I, at that stage. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was like, no, like mm. no. I didn't even get a suitcase down. My my suitcase is with my parents' house. I didn't even get it from them. I was like, there's no point. I kind of just had it in my head that we're just taking it day by day now, and mm. that's it. Um, didn't kind of want to make any plans. Didn't say anything to the people who were going to visit. I just said, no. If I have to cancel last minute, I'll do I'll do that. Um, but I was still so sick and I suppose that was the only kind of reassuring thing um mm. in a way so uh yeah so that was that was that so the next whatever it was 10 days were just awful like I, I can't remember I think it was sometime the following week anyway he he kind of he rang and he said your bloods are good they're coming up and I was like so we had like quadrupled within 48 hours of starting the the okay. medication um so that was fine and he was like yeah so you know we're we're good we're kind of halfway halfway there then I went up for the scan on the whatever day it was the day we were to fly out the next morning nine o'clock anyway so we were up there and went in and it wasn't him actually he was on holidays but it was his colleague and uh she was like okay let's do this so yeah everything was fine she was like that's a 
totally normal and to me for whatever I was eight weeks and four or five days or whatever so she was like go and I was like and I was like oh but should I go <laughs> like would you go <laughs> um she was like I think it's the best thing you could do is go mm-hmm. like it's going to be a long time 12 weeks if you're if you're just sitting at home and I was like okay so of course my mother <laughs> after I came home was like oh Jesus, I didn't think you should have gone and I was like mama just stop <laughs> so it was funny because I was so sick and then the day we were flying was probably the best day I had out of the whole first 18 weeks. Um, I was expecting I to be on the plane like in ribbons, but I was actually fine. The plane was actually really cold and I think that really helped me because I wasn't like yeah. up and rotten. So yeah, so went and um, obviously told the people we were visiting because it was really obvious and uh, we were actually surprising a friend who's now Ollie's godfather. We were surprising him. He was on his J1 over there. So we had friends living in Boston, so we went to them and then we surprised him and obviously surprised him then with the news as well. So it was really, it was lovely. It was really nice. Mm. Um, I was miserable for most of the trip. I was so sick, but so happy to be so sick. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling horrible, but I feel great at the same time. Um, so yeah, it was lovely. It was really nice. I was glad to be distracted for for a while. So that was fine. And then um, got home. I would have been whatever, 10, 11, 11 weeks at that stage. And then only had a week to wait. So it wasn't too bad. Um, but yeah, I was very nervous. So still even going in um, just to make sure, just to get over that that hurdle, I suppose. So yeah, so everything was fine. And then second trimester wrapped around and felt great then. Um, Did you feel a switch then in your kind of, in your mentality that, okay, now I can go into like pregnancy prep mode start yeah. to enjoy it a little bit more I don't think I fully breathed to be honest until the 20 week scan which was 20 okay. 22 weeks or whatever um yeah I think I was still just still scared to a certain extent I was really thankful to be back and when September came around then I was back in work and school is obviously really busy especially coming up to Christmas mm. and that and I was just totally completely distracted um I'd find myself even at the weekends or any downtime I'd be like oh just a bit nervy and then the doctor wasn't working in the doctor surgery one day so he sent me to hospital because he couldn't hear the heartbeat through that I remember going into for one of my GP checkups here because we're doing the combined care thing and he was like oh bet baby's kicking around now and I was like "Eh, no I I hadn't felt kicks at that stage and I I thought like I should have had and he was like oh don't be worried and then he couldn't then the doctor turns out the doctor wasn't working right so (laughs) that didn't save me I ended up in the hospital freaking out but um yeah I had one or two like trips to testing unit for like reduced movements and stuff but probably just like first time first time mother psyching myself out um yeah so we went public and I was under the team I was on they were they were brilliant and I didn't meet I, I actually met the consultant a good few times which I think is fairly rare um so yeah everyone I met was lovely and um then oh yeah I came up to Christmas yeah so my second trimester then I felt really good once the I, I the sick, sickness stopped around stopped around 14 weeks and then I had a bit of a relapse around 18 weeks um but then once I got over that it was it was grand I was fine the whole way through then um after that everything was fine I was going to like a pregnancy chiropractor just to kind of keep my body going the only thing I, wa- I wasn't allowed to do any strenuous exercise so okay. I had to leave, leave the gym and stuff um which was, which, yeah, didn't do me any favours really in the long term. I kind of still feel like I'm been, <laughs> I'm been put back together after it's just been so long of not being able to move the way you want to. Um, 
had you thought about your preferences so how so had you done yeah. any like birth prep and how and how you wanted or how your ideal birth basically yeah so we had uh, we did a hypnobirthing course with um oh, great. yeah we did it here with uh brenda O'Doul, um who's i do you, you brenda was brenda your second midwife yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Brenda was brilliant. Like her class was was so good. And um, yes, and I did some reflexology with Brenda, and yeah, it was just lovely. So I had my preference was to, well, I was like, I will go with the flow. Um, I would have liked to just go as naturally as possible, um, with as little intervention as possible, and um. Yeah, so I loved the hypnobirthing. I had the gentle birth app on every night. We would do the light touch massage. We were just everything, yeah, that she had recommended we do, we did. <laughs> um, and then as things kind of obviously 40 weeks came, 41 weeks came, <laughs> nothing was happening. Um, I found it really hard to cope with the like, oh, will they not give you a sweep? And will they not do this for you? And will they not do that? And I was like, I'm the one mm. telling them not to like, and I just find people just don't you know think that's mad like and I just there was a lot of that like well then oh this is terrible leaving you go this long and blah blah blah. and I was like oh stop so tried to tune out I suppose that as much as possible um and I was happy to come back from the 40 week appointment um actually the 40 week appointment yeah so I didn't I didn't want any vaginal exams if they could be avoided I didn't want them and um when I went up for my 40 week appointment, I kind of had myself psyched up a little bit. I was like, right, I was like, you know what? I just, I'd love to know myself. Like, am I anywhere near um, going into labor? So I was like, I think I'll, I think I'll, you know, if they offer the exam, I'll, I'll, I'll get one, I'll take it. And um, Peter was like, you like whatever you, wherever you want. So anyway, I said I'd do it. And then I was like, no, please, no, no, never mind. I've changed my mind. And I just now, as I said, the majority of the people I met were lovely, but this one particular doctor, she said, um, uh, said to Peter, so I was really upset, but I was more upset because I really wanted to do it, but I just wasn't able to do it then when I came to it. And uh, she was like, she does know she has to do one of these eventually. And I was kind of like, the curtain's not made of steel. <laughs> I can hear what you're saying. And I was like, <laughs> Fine. I was just like really upset and just emotional and bored of being pregnant. And, um, I was just yeah I was a bit a bit irritated by that uh so and it's a really good point that you made that people would say oh it's terrible they won't let me mm. go like they'll go that far that's a really good point because you don't that's not even that's not really spoken about yeah I just found a lot of that like oh will they not do something for you and I was like oh my god like no like I don't want them to do anything for me I'm quite happy yeah um I didn't really start I like sleep had gone for me in like January so it wasn't it wasn't as if I was suddenly getting like uncomfortable and stuff. I had been uncomfortable for a long time and um, my hips and that were, but this is all because I hadn't been able to exercise properly. Like a short walk was all I'd been able to do. So my body was just starting to really, really, really get kind of fired up at that stage. And um, I remember my neighbor came in here to me. I was, it was the night before I went into labor actually. So I was whatever, 41 plus two um 41 plus one and she came in and I was sitting at my living room table and I was just like I love my neighbor but I was like oh because I feel her quite let her in <laughs> I just felt like a uh, chamu sitting on the chair like literally stuck to the chair because I don't think I could move 
and she came in and she's like oh my mommy like her mom is like 90 something she's like I thought mommy mommy's saying prayers for you now and it's gonna happen and all this and I was just like oh my god please get out <laughs> I've told her this since but um fair enough her mommy's prayers obviously worked because yeah yeah <laughs> the next morning <laughs> so we had planned to go out for breakfast um sorry I'm sorry I'll go back to the birth preferences first so basically yeah it was to kind of go put the flow I wasn't I wasn't saying no to anything in particular but my desire was to I all oh, I love water and I didn't I, I didn't want to have the baby in the water but I wanted to labor in the water water needed to be involved somewhere um somewhere for me I just find I find it relaxing in general so uh, even just the sound of it so I was like the shower the bath whatever as long as there's water at some stage um although I didn't want to have the baby in the water I wanted to certainly have the, that as a method of pain relief um but yeah I had all of the like I suppose what a lot of women have spoken about it on the podcast already I wanted the delayed cord clamping you know immediate skin to skin wanted to breastfeed um what else uh yeah just kind of avoid as much intervention as possible mm. um but I was as I said Peter I wasn't closed off to any any option um you know I will I said like as long as he was able to kind of listen to what was going on if I wasn't in a place where I could hear the advice being given just kind of let him talk to them and then kind of relay things back to me so anyway um went to bed Friday night was supposed to meet our friend for breakfast the next morning in a cafe in town and woke up felt absolutely no different um but went to the bathroom and I was like oh okay so I had a show and I was like yes <laughs> something is happening <laughs> so I was booked in for an induction on the Monday and I think it was okay. when I booked the induction they booked me so when I was at my 41 week appointment on Thursday they booked me for the induction on the Monday and we were coming home in the car from that appointment and I said to Peter like I would have been 41 plus 11 on the Monday yes and I was like no I'm not going to go on Monday I'm going to ask them can they push me until the, the, the absolute limit that they'll give me so it would have been the Wednesday or something so I called the hospital when I got home on the Thursday and they said listen come up on the Monday and have a chat with us and then if you want to reschedule for the Wednesday that's fine but she was like I can't take you out of the list or something without being seen by a doctor and I was like oh crap okay so I was like that's fine but anyway started myself then on the Saturday morning and I do think having it booked definitely something I was like I'm definitely having this baby in the next whatever many days and I do think that helped me to relax probably a bit um so woke up um had a show and then just basically like I didn't have like the gush of water um but I definitely felt like all day that I was losing my waters um so I called the hospital and they were like keep an eye on things you know ring in whenever you want um but obviously like the girl don't, don't be getting carried away now you're not going to be going anywhere anytime soon I was like okay so that was fine oh, go for breakfast <laughs> our friend came here instead and uh, like men clueless like so clueless I looked in so he came for breakfast at like 10 o'clock in the morning and I looked into the, the living room I was like trying to keep myself busy as much as I could I don't remember what was on the te- oh rugby was on the television because uh, it was February and or March whatever that stage and I remember looking in at one stage and they were using their feet were up on my birthing ball and I was like <laughs> okay we have a pillow back couch so I had stacked all the pillows on the couch and now so I got my first contraction at like one o'clock in the afternoon but I mean it was totally fine it was nothing it was a non-event but I knew it was a contraction so I was like oh okay that's 
oh, there's one. And it was exactly what I thought it would feel like as well, which I thought was really strange. I was like, that's definitely a contraction. That's exactly what I thought it would be like. And um, then at like, I got, I got maybe three that first in an hour. And I was like, brand, whatever. And then at about three o'clock, I was like, okay, it's starting to kind of get a bit, it's kind of getting a bit, a little bit more regular. At this stage now, I just wanted to be in the house on my own, as in me, just me and Peter. Mm, now, yeah. we did have an American basketballer playing, staying with us at the time. We Peter would be involved in the local basketball club. So we had a girl from America staying with us, and um, she was brilliant. She was like, the whole month of February, we we sat here watching catfish for the entire month of when I started. Mm-hmm. Return to leave, I'd never heard of catfish before. It was a great distraction. And um, she was up in her room, and she came down, and she was like, she kind of knew something was going on and she was like I need to leave it's <laughs> like yeah I should so I went to, uh, this person is our best friend like he's Ollie's godfather and I I said I just remember calling Peter out and I was like tell him to go home to go Give me in labor <laughs> Duh. and uh, he was like oh okay so anyway he was like ah oh, I think you should go there <laughs> I was like yeah can you get your feet off my birthing ball thanks very much I kind of need to use it so and like I had come in and like leaned over the cushions for one or two of the contractions. I just kind of trying to loosen out my hips and stuff, and they didn't really get the hint. So anyway, he left eventually, and pretty much straight after he left, I just said to Peter, like, I think you need to start timing these. It's like they're they're getting a bit closer, to, very definitely getting closer together. So start timing them, and then they started to get more intense. And like it was winter, so it was like with the fire lighting, the room was lovely, oh, lovely. everything was really lovely and cozy. And I was like. I just kind of breathe and relax then and then they started to get definitely more intense um but still manageable like we'd laugh between contractions we were just chatting and talking I was so excited I was just so relieved to have mm-hmm. finally started and be on the way at that stage and then anyway five o'clock came and we talked he was still timing them and um, they were definitely getting more intense um and I had my birth on listening to that completely forgot about my tens machine it never even came out of the bag I completely forgot about it I was on the birthing ball all the time and doing different like exercises squats and whatever walking around and um Peter would be like there's one coming and I was like no there's not and he's like it's coming <laughs> I was like oh, okay so it was, it was literally going just going with the waves as they came and um he was able to tell even by me like when one would be starting Anyway, it's six o'clock. So we timed them from five to six and they were the whatever, five, one, one, five minutes apart, lasting for a minute for an hour. So I was like, right, ring the hospital again. So I rang them. And my only concern was the fact that I didn't know if my waters had gone or not. I was like, I think I've been losing them all day. Like, you know, mm. changing my pad really regularly. Um, but I, I just don't know. And they were like, listen, just come on up to us, but be warned, like you will most likely be going home. And I was like, that's fine that's no problem if I get from home great so I said just for peace of mind I just want to know where where we're at so <laughs> kind of could like rambled around the house for another while and uh got into the car at like seven o'clock and everything was fine until we were stopped around Newlands Cross at a traffic light and I felt the baby move in a really just I just felt like really strange movement and everything changed. It went from exactly what I always thought contractions or surges would feel like to somebody with a steel rod up my back. And it like completely different. It went from surges to pain, just pain. There was no other word for it. I could feel no longer. 
would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com feel anything in my tummy it was all up my back and it was like my endometriosis pains just times a million and I was like what is after happening and Peter was like are you okay and I was like something is after happening I don't know what's after what's going on but I said now I I was starting I did definitely start to panic a little bit um and couldn't breathe I couldn't breathe I couldn't get my breath was gone I couldn't get I couldn't breathe in I couldn't relax enough to get a breath in because they were starting to suddenly come back to back, the contractions. I, I got out of nowhere. This was just in the space of a contraction. And I was like, what, what's happening? And you're sitting in the car. So sitting in the car, idiot. I wasn't even, I should have been in the back of the car on all fours. I wasn't. I was sitting in the front. I had like my app in my ears and I was trying, but I couldn't get the breath back. I had lost it. And um, I was like, oh God. And as we turned into the coombe, the rest of my waters definitely went. I was like, ah, that's it. <laughs> the end of those maternity leggings, they're going in the bin. So I remember going in, there was no nobody in the car park. It was whatever, half eight at night. And I remember going up to the desk to get my file and like, oh, so this was the first weekend of the restrictions. Okay. So yeah, at my last couple of appointments, it had been, have you been to China in the last 14 days? <laughs> no, you're fine though um but then that weekend so I got a text message on the Thursday or Friday morning saying please note that there would be no visitors allowed or you know over the next couple of whatever 
for the foreseeable future. Um, but Peter was allowed to be there. So thank God for that. Um, so I had said to my mom, my parents were going away that weekend. And I was like, oh, she listen, if something does happen now and you're gone, so it doesn't make any difference because you wouldn't be allowed to come see me anyway. She didn't actually realize I was already in labor at that stage. But um, anyway, so we got to, got there and then they were there was, I felt so sorry for poor security guard. <laughs> I like had to grab onto the desk and like, I was trying not to like be really loud. I was like trying to breathe as much as I could, but I would only get a couple of steps before the next one would come like straight away. And eventually got the... Uh, my Peter said to me he knew we were staying when he got to the desk to get my file and the woman handed in the parking slip and she was like you're not going anywhere <laughs> you're, you're definitely staying because uh, Peter's like I don't think we're staying and she's like oh you're staying she gave him like the pink slip or whatever it is yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. like okay <laughs> so I just remember getting in the lift and going up um, the assessment unit and I suppose like 99% of people I met were lovely but unfortunately, I met two midwives that weren't pleasant um, and at two unfortunate parts of my journey, I suppose. Um, first one being the person who opened the door in the assessment unit. I just remember turning to Peter and being like, why now? Why now did I have to meet someone who I'm sorry, just basically just wasn't nice. Like she just snapped the door open, threw a urine bottle at me, for example. I was like, go down the hall there to the toilet. And I was just like, okay um like I I didn't even know at this stage mm. like if I was giving her a urine sample like I couldn't everything was I had no idea of, of my body at this stage I just felt lost in it all and we got back to the assessment unit and um she took me in and she put me on a trace and on like bed so I was on my back and I just remember being like please get me off my back it's like please please just get me off my back it's like all of my pain is in my back um I couldn't talk anymore. I couldn't. I was like, I just remember looking at Peter and I was just shaking, like shaking really badly. Um, and I lost the ability to advocate for myself, basically. It's the only way I can describe it. Like I had gone from like, I'm, I have no problem with being able to speak up for myself, but I lost that ability completely. Um, and I think Peter was so worried about me at that stage that he he kind of forgot as well that, you know, kind of say things that we had talked about and anyway she kept asking me the same question have your waters gone and I was like I, I, I don't know I, I had told her exactly what I've told you that I think they've been going all day pretty sure the rest of them broke as we came in the door in the driveway or at the hospital and she kept being like oh that's, that's just a show like have your waters gone and I was like you keep asking me the same question expecting a different answer I don't know like that's why I'm here so anyway then she was like right I'm going to examine you and I just looked at Peter and I was like um I think listen you'll have seen from my file that like I I haven't had any vaginal exam so far and I explained my position on that and in fairness to her she was like her whole demeanor changed and she was like really calm and really nice and really gentle. And like, she sat beside me on the bed and she was like stroking my arm. And like, it was like a diff- literally like a different person. And she said, well, take it really slow and whatever. So she did the exam and that was fine. Mm-hmm. I went to a different place. <laughs> and when I kind of came to again in, in the middle of all the contractions and whatever, she was standing at the end of the bed writing in my file and, uh, She's like, oh. <gasps> I gave you a sweep while I was in there. Yeah. 
And I, yeah, I I just felt, um, I didn't really know what to do with that information at the time. And I didn't have a chance to think about it because the next surge came and I was gone <laughs> on it. But I remember just being it, like, yeah. okay, hang on to that information there because that's, that has to be dealt with at some stage. Um, but yeah, then she pulled the curtain around me again. It's not made of steel. Mm-hmm. Need to remind anyone that works in the hospital. <laughs> and I heard her on the phone to the doctor and she was like, she's not even in labor. She's maybe a centimeter. And that's the exact tone of her voice. That's not me being dramatic about it. That's the way she was. And I looked at Peter. At this stage now, I was sitting on the side of the bed because I just wanted to get off the bed. Mm-hmm. I was like, let me off my back. I was like, please let me off my back. And um, I just looked at Peter and I was like, you have full permission to shoot me. If this is not labor, like I can't do this. Like I cannot do this. Is that This is nothing like what it was earlier. Obviously, I'm not naive enough to think it stays at that nice manageable level. I know you get to a stage where you, you know things are intense, but this was not the same feeling at all. Um, and I was like, if this isn't labor, like just literally shoot me. So that would have been somewhere between half eight and nine at night. And for the next hour, I was on that bed, begging to be let off the bed. But they couldn't because the trace machine was on me. And this other midwife came in at one stage and she was like, oh, sleepy baby, sleepy baby. And I just remember being like, what does that mean? Can someone please explain to me what is actually happening and why I am still on this bed? And the lead for the trace was really short, so I couldn't move. And like at this stage now, I was getting I was getting really being pissed off and I was just in getting the pain was just getting really, really bad. And I but on my back and Peter said like, I was like a, an arch at one stage because like I was on the base of my head, like just arched in pain. Um, and I, I just oh, it was, it was just going against everything we practiced. It was going against every natural instinct in my body. And. But I just didn't feel like I had a choice. Like, I just, as I said, like, I, I don't know what happened to me. It was like I was struck dumb. I was just going along with what they were saying. But there was this part of me that was like, you need to say something. But I just couldn't. And um, anyway, eventually a doctor came in at about 10 o'clock. And at this stage, I would have chewed steel. I was like, I just need to get out of this room <laughs> like I need to not be on my back on this bed in this small unit because there's four beds in there and I was like I'm going to scare someone if someone comes in if I, I had been in that room twice over the pregnancy or three times like going went in with reduced movements and if I had been in one of those beds and had heard me I would have been like I'm never having a baby isn't it funny how we go there we're in the height we're in labor and women, we're thinking yeah. about the other women around us yeah it really yeah. is and I was just like I'm going to terrify people like at this stage like I was making noises that mm. I didn't know I could make and I was like oh mm. anyway so after come in she asked could she examine me and I was like if you if you examine me please you need to get me out of this room it's like make a deal now you can examine me but you're getting me out of here and she was like, okay, so she examined me and again, not pleasant. Um, and she was like, you're four centimeters. You're going to delivery like now you're going down to the labor, labor ward now. And I was like, okay. And she's like, and you're getting an epidural straight away. And I was like, oh, like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> can we talk about this? And then more contractions came. And uh, anyway, she was like, Sinead, 
uh, she she knew I had done the hypnobirthing course and she was like, think about your your course. Um, she said, did you talk about like positions of the baby? And I said, yes. And she went through the different positions that baby would be in. She was like, your baby is back to back. You remember what <laughs> your instructor said? And I have to say like one of the, one of my like forever memories of Brenda was when she was good. She had these posters with the like different positions of the baby. And the third poster was, was it OP position or whatever? So back to back. And she was like, yeah, that's bone on bone. Now that that's pain, pain. She's like, now you can't really breathe through that one. <laughs> and I remember her saying that so well. And I was just like, I just laughed when the doctor said that. I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. I know what that means. And she was like, at the moment, because I just, the way this is heading today, she said, you need rest. This is very intense, very quick. And we need to just bring everything back down a bit. And I was like, okay. So we made our way very slowly down to the labor ward. And I remember the doors opening, having an interaction. And I was like, hi. <laughs> Waddled on down, went into my room and met my lovely midwives who were just the nicest human beings ever. And um, like the second I walked in, they were like on the phone to the, the anesthetist or whatever it's called. And I was the only one on the labor ward that night uh, for most of, for the majority of the night. So it was lovely. Um, and like, God, it's, it's just I just find it so funny how, you know, we're so conscious and everything in general. And then I was like stripping off. I was just like clothes needed just not be on me at that stage. I was like, nope, anything that could cause irritation has to be gone. And um Anyway, so yeah, I, I just the anesthetist or whatever you call them came in to the room, and um, I remember one of the midwives like ripping open the gas in there, and I couldn't. I just said to her, I was like, I can't. My problem was same since the second it had changed in the car. I was like, I can't get my breath far enough into my body to actually use it properly. And she was like, okay, okay. And um, she was so nice, and she was like, listen, we'll get you. You get the epidural, and you know you'll. I could I at this stage was like this isn't as if I was I felt like it was an out body experience watching me go through all of this and um anyway so doctor came down uh, and I heard um the midwife say to him coupling contractions uh so you know this will be it has to be it'll be a kind of a difficult one or whatever so because the contractions are coming two at a time it was hard for him to get the break I suppose in it to um do it but I have to say this is where hypnobirthing really paid off for me uh, I mean I don't even like injections <laughs> and the fact that I was able to get through that um like I didn't find it horrendous like I mean I, I just remember I put on the track and the heat in the room was the other thing I just remember everything was so warm and they got me into the position and Peter sat on the ground and like pulled my arms forward like kept me in that position and we just kept listening to the the, the track I had in my ears and that was I have to say there and then that paid off I was like it okay I didn't have the I had as far from the experience I, I wanted as possible but um it definitely had its benefits um at different stages so uh so at this stage everyone around me was lovely like they couldn't have been more supportive and um, so got the epidural he left and I literally within whatever like 45 minutes I felt like, oh my God, I just felt like I came back to myself. I could finally breathe again. And I remember the, the woman that I had seen at the door of the delivery seat when I came in, she rocked in and um, she was like, hiya. And I was like, oh, hi. He's like, were you the lady at the start? And she was like, yeah. 
<laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm really sorry. I was making some turbots. She's like, don't be worried about it. And they were just so lovely, like so, so nice. And um, so I had my midwife and a student midwife and they were just, just so nice and friendly. And it was lovely. Like they turned the lights down and we had a playlist on of music and we were just chatting away. And like she was changing my position really regularly. Obviously, she knew what my preferences had been originally and that they were kind of gone south at that stage. So um, but she was like, uh, changed my position as much as we could. We we're using the peanut ball. And um, yeah, I got I got a lot of rest and I finally felt like, OK, I can I can definitely I could get my energy back, actually get through the, the pushing stage then. So everything was kind of going along as normal. Um, well, whatever is normal is, but it was going on fine. And um, she checked me a couple of times and then she asked, could she bring in the more senior midwife? And I was like, OK. So she came in. Um, at the time, I didn't know why. Um, it wasn't until afterwards that I found out what was after happening. So, um, so the midwife came in and they asked me a load of questions, and I was like, "No, because I felt absolutely, I felt nothing. Like I couldn't feel anything anymore." Yeah. And um, that was grand. And then I had a, a student midwife went on her lunch at I don't know, whatever hour of the night, and when she came back, she was like, "What?" what's after happening here she was looking at my file so I'd gone from four to nine centimeters in an hour and um okay because they were all like oh this is going to be like you know tomorrow's shift now will be seeing this baby like four and or whatever because this is whatever two three in the morning well two o'clock in the morning so at three o'clock I started to push and um yeah I, I just never felt like I never felt like I got into the groove of pushing I suppose I suppose coached pushing and all that wasn't exactly what I had had been prepping for and um obviously when you can't feel your body um I just I just never felt like I was making much progress and that turns out was exactly kind of what was happening that um I'm sorry I have it written here after I did the reflection thing it's like um the doctor was called though so she said there was like there's like spines or spindles she called them like in I don't know somewhere in your pelvis anyway and uh that he was kind of getting stuck there every time well obviously I now know that he didn't know the time but he was getting stuck there and he couldn't kind of get past that um now she said this was a lot of this was his position as well was because he was back to back and it just wasn't um it was optimal um so I was pushing for an hour and we weren't making much progress and they asked, could they give me an episiotomy? And I said, yes. So that was fine. They did that. And still nothing was happening. And then I just, I remember at this stage now, the epidural was starting to kind of wear off a bit. Um, and I had started to use the gas and air just every now and again, just to kind of keep me going. And um, while my midwife was on lunch, I had another midwife come in and as I said, the two midwives I had were lovely, but this other, this third midwife who just covered the lunch break, do you know when you just click with somebody? Like, not that I didn't get on with the other two, they were lovely, but this girl was just, she just, yeah, I just felt like I'd known her for years. And um, she was really nice. And she, for some reason, I kind of looked to her a little bit for kind of guidance through it. And she was great. And loads of midwives came in to help me kind of with the pushing and stuff. And yeah, it was just wasn't making any progress. And then Next thing I just remember, um, the doctor, so the doctor came in and then the senior reg came in and I was like, okay, we're one step away now from the consultants rocking in. So um, they just said, listen, uh, we we need to use an instrument. 
And I was like, what? <laughs> if you had asked me to write down what my absolute nightmare would have been was episiotomy and forceps. And that's exactly what I ended up getting. I think it was just, I mean, we've all seen a forceps. Like I just was like, that is me. I was like, no way in hell is that happening. And when I heard the word forceps, I was like, no way. I said, no, give me a section. I was like, you're not, you're not coming near me with forceps. And she, the, the doctor was really like, oh no, Sinead, like this is, I was begging her. I was like, no, I'm like, give me a section, please. I do not come at me with forceps. And um, they were like, oh, Sinead, like they, they kind of looked at me as if like, oh, you have this all wrong. Like, you know, like, force you know this is much better for you in the long run and you know in terms of having a second baby you know it'll be much better for you um than having a section and you know section is a major surgery and which I obviously know um but she she was kind of taken aback that I really wanted to go for the section and kind of skip the instrumental um part and uh, she was like no this is definitely the better the better course and um the only thing is that we're going to have to take you to theater to do it um in case it doesn't work uh we want to be able to obviously move quickly because there was at that stage there were um occasional decelerations in ollie's heartbeat so like we just feel like we need to be in theater and i was like okay so within a couple of minutes the room just got really busy and i i I knew when the senior midwife came in and then the junior edge and then senior edge and i was like okay there's something something happening here and it was that other midwife that kind of kept me clued in as to what discussions were and um next thing I knew we were on the way to theatre and Peter was on to get gowned up and stuff and um uh yeah I remember I just I was a little bit scared now going up in the lift and stuff and to be fair they prepared me well they were like listen the room theatre is going to be really busy there's a whole team in there everyone in there has a job like don't be worrying it's nothing unusual and I was like okay so got in and it was exactly as they said it would be and there was the whole team of doctors waiting for the baby and um all the theater staff and that was fine and then anyway soon enough anyway peter was back at my side and um i remember that midwife that had been with me for that short while when all the discussions were going on around me because i felt like so much of it happened around me and very little people spoke to me um she she whispered in my ear she, and she pulled, she was pulling back my knees like into my own hands so that I could hold them back myself in the lift. And she was like, you push, like you, you keep going in the lift as much as you can. You just push. And she says, you, you know, you just never know. <laughs> you might get there and then you might need the force of that crawl. I just, I sometimes feel like if she had Jeez. come with me, like, you know, not. How did you feel? I was yeah, just you know, I was naive as hell, Corey. Like I had no clue like what was lying ahead and, you just I just put so much trust into everyone around me and that's um yeah you just what else do you do like um did you feel like I suppose you've no you've no option but to trust yeah you know they're they're there for you and they're for baby but like how how, I just felt like yeah I was disappointed at how things were going like I just remember yeah I had this sense that this isn't this is like this is not what you wanted at all obviously um but yeah I just I kind of knew in the back of my mind that this isn't going to go this isn't going to be straightforward like I mean once I heard the word forceps I was like oh Jesus <laughs> so um anyway went to theatre Peter was back at my side before we knew it and he started the procedure and um they were like right I just remember the senior edge looking at me and she's like contractions four contractions today and he'll be and baby will be here 
And I was like, okay, I can do that. I can deal with four mm. more of these. So anyway, um, he came out straight away, basically, with the forceps, um, which took everyone by surprise. And in the process caused a lot of damage. Um, so he was born and it was a boy, which was great. And um, so obviously he was put up in my chest, but like only for a second. Um, well, for a couple of seconds, it was all a bit blurry now at this stage, but um, he was taken off then. And I didn't realize obviously at the time, but I had a massive hemorrhage. So I lost half my blood. Um, and then all I knew was baby was gone. Peter was gone with him and I was in surgery. So I was still in surgery. He was born at, at 4.38 and I was still in surgery at 5 past 6. Um, and I remember I remember they kept saying to me, um, are you still with us, Sinead? Are you still with us? And I was like, yeah, like, should I not be? <laughs> I was like, yeah, why do you keep asking me that? And then I started shaking like really badly. And the midwife came up to me and she was like, you've lost some blood. Um, uh, so we're just, and so we're trying to do a repair because you've had a tear. And I was like, in my head, I was like, okay, well, I had the episiotomy and obviously, okay, I must have tore a little bit more. <sighs> so then the senior edge came up and um, she was like, at my shoulder say, and she's like, hey, you've had a grade three B, grade three B tear. Um, which is quite significant and we are currently just doing the repair on it and um, you've also had a significant hemorrhage and I was like okay <laughs> um, and at that stage now I was getting very very tired and I was also devastated because I hadn't seen my baby since he was <laughs> born and it was about 10 past six when they were eventually like okay we're eventually done like and uh, was transferred back over onto the other bed and taken down to recovery and um so went into recovery uh whatever sometime around half six I think and Peter was doing skin to skin with with Ollie and um I remember naming him while I was in theater they were like what's his name and I was like Ollie then I was like oh don't tell Peter I named him (laughs) (laughs) and when I got down to recovery and Peter's like oh Sinead like there's only one name in my head and I was like well there's only one in mine too and you just saw what happened to me so there's only one winner (laughs) um but I was like right count to three and say the name and thankfully he said said the same ones I was like oh cool okay didn't have to uh, go through that so um anyway so that was fine and then I got this obviously immediate like burst of adrenaline I was like give him to me (laughs) he was like on me straight away and the midwife came in for a second and like tried to get him to latch on or whatever um and then we started making all the phone calls then to the the family and stuff the only person who knew I was in labor was my sister um so called everyone told everyone we didn't know what we were having at the time like until we had him so obviously it was great excitement and stuff so it was lovely but I remember near the end of the calls um I started to feel really sick mm. I was like oh it's about 8 8 a.m at the stage trying to get through to my brother who was hung over I was like <sighs> he'll find out later I rang his wife in the end I was like I'm sorry I was trying to tell him first but you just <laughs> I don't know where he is um so I was like okay I'm starting to feel really unwell we're trying to get through to Peter's sister and she answered and I just remember being like oh my god the whole room is spinning and then it's, none of none of it had registered with me, like the tear and the hemorrhage, like none of it had had hit me at all at that stage. And um, at like nine o'clock, then they were taking me up to the ward. And 
I suppose this is where Stoke has started getting a bit real then. Um, I said goodbye to the midwives that had been with me, obviously, in, in labour and delivery. Um, I found that really sad because, like, you just you just get to know them so well. Like, and, yeah, I, I felt I hated leaving them. I kind of felt safe with them because, um, obviously, they've been with you through all of the hard stuff at that stage. And um, then went into the ward and we were in the lift on the way down and I was holding Ollie and he was wrapped in a little blanket. And I was just like, someone take the baby. And they were all talking to each other. And I was like, somebody please take the baby. So I started vomiting everywhere. And as I was wheeled in, like, it's not very conducive anyway to not vomiting. Like, first of all, I was in the lift. And then, you know, when you're on the bed, like, and they're wheeling you down and then they take you into a room, they kind of wheel you forward and wheel you back. It was like on a roller coaster. And I was like, oh, God. So I was getting sick everywhere. And this is where I met the other midwife that wasn't pleasant. Um, Her first words that not even words her first sounds at me were <sighs> because I was vomiting and she just really annoyed by the sounds of it that I that she had to help me like change my obviously I still had the epidural so I couldn't mm-hmm. feel anything yet so I had to change my nitrous and we changed the sheets because I had gotten sick everywhere um she didn't speak a word to me throughout that entire thing as I was trying to make conversation with her I was like okay and then um when she, I was right. I was in a six bed ward, but there was only four of us in there, I think. And the bed beside me was empty, but I was at the door. So like whenever she'd go out into the hallway, we could still hear her. And she was like giving out that she was on that ward. She's never on that ward. She shouldn't have been on that ward that day. Blah, blah, blah. So basically, we were all kind of looking at each other. All the mother has been like, well, thanks very much. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't, it just wasn't nice. And um, it wasn't helpful at all. She told me straight away, you're not going to be able to breastfeed. First words out of her mouth to me. Her actual first sentence to me was, you're not going to be able to breastfeed. And I was like, sorry, as I was there, like trying. trying yeah. And she said, you've got flat nipples, your history of PCOS, and you've just had a major trauma. And you're you're never going to be able to breastfeed. And I never, when I say I didn't see her again, I saw her for about five minutes to give me my medication and to take out my catheter. And that was it. Um, in her head, she had me checked off then that's it I got zero support when it came to breastfeeding from her um and it's something I have spoken to the hospital about since Mm. because it wasn't good enough um my breastfeeding journey ended in the hospital a few days later um I I had asked the lactation I was there for four days like I had I went into hospital on Saturday I had Ollie Saturday night Sunday morning and I got discharged Wednesday night at nine o'clock nine o'clock at night leaving the hospital not what you would picture um when you're bringing home your baby and um I never once met the lactation consultant I asked every single day to meet her and she never came to me because it was something I asked in the reflection service um was it noted how many times I asked and they were like we wouldn't record that information and I was like well I said I asked every day and I never met her and they were like they were quite taken aback by it um so yeah, I I didn't feel supported, I suppose. I didn't feel like I got the support I needed to succeed in breastfeeding and then add in all of the other stuff. Um, on top of it, I suppose the trauma and that as well, like my body wasn't really um yeah, everything just felt like I just didn't feel like this it was my body anymore at all. It just felt like it had been in a car crash. Um and it wasn't until to be honest, it wasn't until weeks later when my GP sat me down and kind of gave me a talking to 
and was like you don't really understand like what you actually yeah. your body actually went went through um I had a huge amount of guilt over not breastfeeding him and uh she was just like hey your your, your body is not like it's just it's been through a lot so like you need to give it a little bit of credit to, you know somewhere but um so anyway we got midwife the first day which just wasn't very helpful the night midwife if I could have cloned her now mm. <laughs> she was incredible um she really was incredible uh she was brilliant she gave me great support um but I used to dread the morning coming then because she'd be gone and um yeah so anyway the hospital stay was mixed I suppose Peter was allowed to come in which I am eternally grateful for because a week later he wouldn't have been um and my heart absolutely breaks for the women who've had to go through all of that alone um because I couldn't have done I couldn't I physically couldn't move um between everything um I had uh, some numbness left over um for months actually afterwards um not from the epidural as such um I think it was my position for labor um it kind of flared up an old injury I had at the base of my back and I had a lot of numbness left there and that made it really uncomfortable especially at the start um kind of do anything I suppose uh so yeah so Peter would be let in for a couple of hours during the day um but you know yourself you're just like staring at the baby and taking a million pictures and you're not resting when you're meant to rest or mm. anything like that but then um I just wanted to go home I was like please just let me go home um and then so that was a Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday came around and I was like I am um, not staying here tonight like there's no way in hell I packed my bag I was ready to go and um the midwife was like she was kind of like on board so basically I hadn't gone to the toilet okay hadn't gone to the toilet since I'd had him and they were like we can't let you go home without having gone to the toilet because you've got a, a grade three or whatever tear and we need to make sure it's all okay and I was like I'm telling you now <laughs> I'm not going to go to the toilet in here. I'm like, I need to be at home in my own surroundings mm. um, and to relax. Like I need to just be at home at this stage. Like at this stage now I was in pain. I was exhausted. I needed to just be at home where I have support um, with the baby. So we eventually got out, got on the road. I got into the car and when I say I started crying. <laughs> I I I just I can't believe I don't even know where the water came from I cried the most I've ever cried in my life I called my sister and I just yeah I just let it all out I was angry I was sad I was terrified I was every emotion you can imagine was one of my best friends from from here had warned me and she had actually rang Peter Seppley and it's like you know like you really need to be prepared for those like those hormones that come and I was kind of like mm, like like I'll be fine like I know they're going to come I'm prepared for them I wasn't prepared for how bad it was and then Peter was like by the way so like country is kind of going into this thing called lockdown (laughs) and I'm probably going to be finishing work tomorrow for at least two weeks um but you know no like food on the shelves and yeah it was it was mental it was absolutely mental we got home here and my mom had the fire lighting and my mom and dad were here and it was just so lovely and I came into this like warm oh the warmth and just I felt so instantly like I'd also cried for an hour the whole hour journey down so I but the minute I got here I felt finally I'm home I'm relaxed 
mom and dad didn't leave until like two in the morning I went for a shower got baby set up and settled and everything everything was fine and then um Thursday morning rocked around um obviously very quickly and public health nurse was to come um now at this stage I had started to get clued into what was going on with with coronavirus so um it was announced that afternoon obviously that schools were closing um Peter went in to do a shop and there was like he's like there's like no fresh vegetables <laughs> anywhere at this stage I had stopped breastfeeding um and we couldn't get formula there was no formula left on the shelves um my brother drove from Nace and my sister-in-law came from Galway with formula I um sorry I'm jumping around now so the Thursday came around and public health nurse was to come she came for a few minutes, weighed him, measured him, did the heel prick test, never checked me, never asked to check me, um, left to go to coronavirus or COVID training and never came back. And I've never seen her since. I was left with a green slip with her name. So it wasn't actually the woman I met was actually covering for my public health nurse who was on leave at the time. So I got a, a green slip with my actual public health nurse's num- name and, and number. But it's just the number of the office, which when you ring it, it says, please note this voicemail box is not monitored during COVID. Your public health nurse has been redeployed. <laughs> so that wasn't very helpful. Um, but listen, they, ha- they had their own stuff going on. I'm just saying in general, it was the reality for oh, me yeah. Um, yeah. was that there, yeah, there was their, their support was, wasn't there um, at all. So on the Thursday, I was full of adrenaline on the Thursday because I was home. I was finally home. I was showered and I was all lovely and I was felt so much better. Gone to the toilet. <laughs> um, so I was full of adrenaline, never rested at all, all day. Um, Brenda had called to see me, um, new Brenda, midwife Brenda, and um, she was so lovely because I felt like not breastfeeding as well that I was nearly letting her down because she had done so much prep and she was mm. like, I think she knew with everything that was going on she was like no and she helped me then to figure out how to cope with not breastfeeding um and she was really good and um she was here for a little while and then that evening then I remember sitting down and our one of our best friends called in and um I felt started to feel really unwell while he was here and our other friends were coming at um as in just one one of our couple like and their two children we're calling in that evening at about half seven and I just remember sitting on the couch and I was like, there's something wrong. So in my, the way I felt was that I kept asking Peter, was my face okay? And he was like, your face is fine. Janelle. He's like, what, what do you mean? I felt like my face was numb. And when I'd move my head to turn to, to talk to somebody, I just felt like it would take ages for my whole head to come with me or my eyes to come with me. And um, I had myself convinced I was having a stroke, like absolutely convinced of it. And I kept Googling stuff and it was just, I just felt really, really weird. And anyway, our friends came in and they were here and um, and Trudy, the girl that was living with us at the basketball fair, she was here as well. And um, I was trying to be all like, hi, oh, you know, whatever. And I just was like, oh, their little boy sat up beside me. And he was our page boy for our wedding and he was like cuddled him beside me. And I just remember looking at him and I'm, I was like, I need to go to the hospital like right now. And um my friend he was like Schnelli okay and I was like no I was like there's something wrong like I don't feel right and he was like okay you need to go like now and I was like but like I can't leave Ollie like 
and they were like, we have him, he's fine. And we used to live with them when their little girl was only a baby. And um, But to be honest, it was meant to be that they were calling because I yeah. I left him, like he was what, four days old, five days old. I left him with them and I didn't think about him. I know that sounds terrible, but I knew he was completely safe. He was, I trust her mm. as much as I would trust, the most I would trust anyone. And I, there was nobody better that could have been there um, at the time. And so anyway, because I had obviously I had the baby in the coom, um, but I live in Port Leash. So um, we called Port Leash Hospital and they were like, yeah, of course, like come up. I was like, I don't I didn't feel like I would actually make it to Dublin. Um, so they were like, of course, come up. To us. So I went into the maternity assessment unit there and they were really lovely. And um, I was now I have had been drinking buckets of water all day. Like I wasn't dehydrated at all. But um just yeah just really off I can't even fully describe how I felt but um that was fine then by complete coincidence a consultant came in who who wasn't there to see me she was there to see a private patient but she'd pop into the room I was in to get something out of a cupboard turns out Peter used to teach her son I was literally sitting there with my head back and I was like of course he knows someone of course he does and I was just like just shut up just stop talking please just stop talking <laughs> the room is spinning enough I don't need to hear you talking about basketball and your son and whatever but anyway it ended up being a blessing because she was like she was like are you the girl I have to hang fluids for and I was like no and she was like are you sure <laughs> she's like you look like you could do with them and I was like no I'm I was like I'm waiting on some doctor whatever the doctor's name was and she was like oh, okay so off she went anyway and then about 10 minutes later the midwife came in and she's like oh doctor so and so is going to see you next door and I was like okay so I went in and I actually only recently sent her a thank you card because I couldn't I kept forgetting to do it but she could not have done more she was amazing she checked everything she checked my wound she did a full ultrasound um checked my bowel my everything checked all of my organs basically um all of my vitals she was like you're not having stroke you're absolutely fine she said but you're more than likely after your hemoglobin's after dropping again so the, the when I left the coom I my hemoglobin iron levels were 8.3 if they were eight or lower I would have had to get a transfusion but just about got out with the skin of my teeth um she was like I guarantee yeah yeah, yeah well yeah. my iron would have been really good like, I was up like 14 point something at one stage so um mm. she was like I, I'm going to take your blood now but I guarantee you that's what is after happening your hemoglobin has gone so she was like rest Sinead is the only thing it's going to help so she sent me out to the toilet but I knew it was totally just to get rid of me out of the room basically she gave Peter a talking to it. she was like I don't care what coronavirus <laughs> or what's happening in the world Somebody needs to be, like she said, she needs to rest, basically. Like, you need to uh, step up and you need to, like, whatever. Um, so, yeah, she gave him a bit of a stern talk and different what I could gather. And, um, but, yeah, after that then for weeks, basically, like, Peter did every night shift, like, every single night shift. Like, I would be up, but I couldn't physically basically when I would wake up my 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 legs wouldn't actually move like my, it was like my it's not that I was some part of me was numb there was part of my back that was numb but um everything was just like not working together and um I would be up but I couldn't actually get out of the bed so he'd bring him in to me but he we basically both did the night which I know sounds ridiculous because why we were both up but kind of just the way it happened 
um in the end of it all so so yeah our days then just kind of rolled all into one between the pandemic and everything um I had my parents everyone came to see us on the Saturday because the lockdown was coming so um my brother and sister and Peter's sisters came to see us um and then lockdown came then on the Monday and um and that was okay I was like sure you know we weren't missing we were kind of going to be in a bubble anyway but it wasn't until much later that um that I started to struggle with the, the I suppose not having anyone around that kind of that side of it but I suppose sure you've been through that as well with having your little girl in the middle of it all <laughs> Sean was here the whole time so um I didn't feel like we came out that but like I definitely needed help but I missed socializing yeah. I missed the walks I missed all of that yeah with people definitely and I can see it in the two babies mm. but um I, th- I think I was oh I mean Sean at home I know I was the same mm. as Peter himself said that like, we were so naive when we think back like we were sitting here I remember sitting here in a rocking chair on the Thursday on the day like that day when I was full of adrenaline before I crashed and the or whoever was making the announcement about the school shows and I was like oh Peter you don't need to use your paternity leave like you're going to be off for two weeks oh six months later we were rocking back mm. to work been like Peter was like this is how every woman feels going back to work after maternity leave <laughs> he had a maternity leave essentially <laughs> like he went back to he, he was yeah. te- after Easter so obviously schools were closed and then he went online teaching so he went on like I mean you should have seen that the guard downstairs is small it's just one room basically <laughs> so he had this like he teaches technical graphics and like metal work so he had this like contraption think, yeah, built on the living room table to act as a visualizer and oh it was just a nightmare and then I'd have to be like and I couldn't get up like it took me it took me I didn't have a pain-free day until I was about 12 weeks out and I mean that was just a day that wasn't like consistent days um so I would I work I wasn't able to get up off the floor with Ollie on my own um all this kind of stuff so yeah, it was it was uh, those few weeks of him teaching from home were just comical uh, but they were fine I mean just the weather was unreal the weather was amazing and once I was able to start getting out walking Oh, I pounded those roads every yeah. day and it was lovely. I really enjoyed that. Um, like it was, it's a really, it was an experience of two halves. Like, I mean, part of me was so lucky and I can't ex- explain how much I understand that I was so lucky to have him here. Um, but I think the knock on effect of that was that as things kind of moved on, I began to feel like I can't, like, I can't do this then on my own. Um, and some people certainly made me feel like, oh, well, you've had it easy. That was actually said to me. You've had it very easy. <laughs> like, OK, uh, I know I had Peter, but we literally we as a couple had nobody else. Um, he didn't meet his grandparents until yeah. he was five months old, um, which was really hard. Like that was really, really, really hard to kind of deal with, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But um but just have that extra pair of hands just to. Yeah, like I had my mom for my like, until the lockdown was announced because my parents were yeah kind of older and I didn't want them to be in any way put at any extra risk um but yeah so I had my mom for a couple of days and she Jesus that was that was great mm-hmm. like she'd just drop in dinner and they'd do a bit of shopping for us or whatever um but no we got into a really good routine then and everything was great um it wasn't until I don't know sometime after I went back to work that um I kind of started to 
realized that there was a lot of kind of stuff with the birth that I needed to kind of sort out in my head. Yeah. Um, so I did the birth reflection service with the coom, which was definitely very helpful. Um, I kind of feel like I need to do it again um, because I know I know more now again that I know what questions to even ask more. Um, and then I found that I still wasn't really I couldn't talk about the birth without crying at some stage during the conversation. Um, I couldn't. I had this huge, um, I suppose, after doing so much of the hypnobirthing and the kind of positive birth side of things, I felt like because I remember going to one particular class and like there was like positive birth stories only, like T-shirts and all this stuff. And I felt then that because I didn't have that experience that I couldn't talk about Ollie's birth. And I didn't want to talk about it then. I, I was like, as much as I was thinking about it all the time, I didn't want to talk about it. And one of my friends had uh, had called in out in the garden when you were allowed to last summer. And um, he had asked me like every, like loads of questions. And I would only uh, talk about it if I was asked questions. And I told her and she had asked loads of questions. So she basically got the whole story. And um, a couple of weeks later, she told me she was pregnant. And I had a full-blown like panic attack because... I was like, oh, my God, I should never have told you what happened to me. Like, I'm so sorry. And she was like, what is wrong with you? She's like, I asked you. Like, I wanted to know. And I was like, no, I shouldn't have said anything. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm probably terrified. And she was like, calm down. She's like, "There, like, I, you know, that was me asking you. You weren't, like, volunteering the story. Um, and I just had this huge sense of, oh, my God, like, I've terrified her now. And she's a first-time mother. And I can't believe I did that. And all this kind of stuff. So I didn't feel like I could talk about it at all. And, um. Yeah, I suppose, to be honest, your podcast was one of the first things that made me feel like, OK, this is actually, you know, every every experience is so different. And to not be the only person who had their preferences go out the absolute window, um, yeah, it was kind of reassuring, I suppose. Um, I'm sure I blamed everything. Like, I was like, oh, it's the fact that I didn't exercise enough during pregnancy. Oh, it's the fact that I was so sick and I couldn't eat this, that and the other. And I went through everything, like, in my head, kind of, um, yeah, every reason about why things have gone wrong not wrong I suppose wrong I mean ultimately I have a lovely healthy baby um but um I ended up then doing um some work with Maria from oh birth. 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 Yeah. yeah so yeah. brilliant yeah I have to say that made the difference definitely um after a couple of sessions I was a bit skeptical at the start and then after a couple of sessions I could talk about it without crying um and then yeah, so ended up um I wrote a letter to <laughs> I'd never sent it. I wrote a letter to the midwife who decided to do a sweep on me without my consent. Um, but I just needed to write it out so yeah. that I could kind of let it go. Um and as much as I'm I'm not angry about it at all like like I used to be, I used to feel like fuming about it, but now I'm just like, mm, yeah, that really wasn't should have been done. But I take it all now as a learning experience because there's so much stuff that I know more about now and I know just more research that I've done since um and I feel so much more prepared if I was to if we we're lucky enough to have another baby so so yeah I definitely think um it was all a bit mad uh it was all a bit mad at the start and then yeah the pandemic didn't help matters but at the other side of it it also brought some amazing benefits that I wouldn't give up for anything so Thank you so much for sharing. No problem. I feel like I've totally rambled. No, you haven't at all. You haven't at all. 
Thank you again to Sinead for sharing her story. If you would like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. Just get in touch over on the website, which I have linked in the show notes. Click on irelandsbirthstories.ie, then click on the share your stories tab over on the website and pop in a few details. I'll get back to you as soon as I can with a recording date and how the podcast works. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Enjoy the rest of your week and I will chat to you next Monday with another episode. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.